0: This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. When a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or or within the
1: vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought about themselves.
0: He'd just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sprocky in about every conceivable place you could imagine,
1: which we would, of course, dump.
0: They'd wait until everybody was locked up, and he would open his door and run down to sell one and get a bugler can full of Sprocky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many... Wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, Kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Stool Pigeons Saturday. Today I've got a very special guest, the uh, one, the only, our, one of our best tour guides here. This is Jack Auerkade. He's here to tell some great stories. So welcome, Jack. Hi, Anthony. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. So, Jack, can you just tell us a little about yourself, about you know what brought you here? What were you before you
1: were a volunteer here? Sure. Um, I came to Boise in 87 as a professor in the College of Education at Boise State and retired a few years ago looking for something to do always found the old idaho penitentiary to be just fascinating frankly architecturally was the main draw for it i, I just love the way the place looks and feels oh, yeah. and so came out here a number of times and increasingly got drawn into the stories so when i retired and was looking for something to do uh, the idea of volunteering out here occurred to me came out for an initial training got caught up in it and uh, been doing it now for about a year and a half
0: yeah If you look at any of our Google reviews, our, you know, TripAdvisor reviews, you'll see Jack's name all over. he is, he's always out here giving tours. So if you've come out in the last year, you've probably taken a Jack Cow tour.
1: Well, it's much the same as the university stuff, except frankly, with more interesting content. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's it's inherently
0: fascinating. I think so. so. Yeah. You've really spurred on a lot of our volunteers to want to really dig deep and, and learn these stories. And yeah, so... I really appreciate you coming on and doing the same thing for me right now for the podcast. <laughs> you you dug into a difficult case. Like, I mean... It's long, and it's tedious. and
1: Well, it, yeah. it, it's, and it's frankly my own fault, because <laughs> you, and, you and Sky have done these stories of folks who have stumbled once, done time here, straightened themselves out, mm-hmm. and gone on to lead great lives, defined as no further corrections experiences. And so I was more interested in the opposite side of the coin, not realizing that every time he came back, I would have to do another bit of research. And so... Uh, That's who we have today, William Ferdinand Dreyer, who was a prolific writer, but mostly what he was writing was bad checks. (laughs) (laughs) So as best I can tell, I think he may hold the record uh, for most visits here to the penitentiary. He was in for five different terms, not to mention a couple of terms outside this state, which we'll get into here in just a bit. Yeah,
0: wow. That's an impressive...
1: What's the kind of time span for this? Mr. Dreyer initially came into the penitentiary in the mid-1930s, and uh, he did his last stretch in prison. Uh, In the 1950s So most of his adult life Although I didn't calculate it accurately Much more of his life was spent behind bars than not
0: Let's get to it Let's let's hear about William Dreyer
1: Uh, William Ferdinand Dreyer He's born in Idaho Falls here in Idaho Out in um, Bannock County April 26, 1914 Some sources say 13 But I think 14 shows up more often His dad, Charles Frederick Dreyer Was an immigrant from Denmark His mom, Carolyn Rose Ella Dryer is from Utah. He had a couple of older sisters, an older brother, one younger brother, Harold, that we'll talk about, and also a younger sister. So he finished ninth grade, pretty typical education level, for his time in the late 20s. As a 16-year-old, he worked as a deliveryman for a dairy there in eastern Idaho. He got married, he married Edna Harris, in the LDS Third Ward in Idaho Falls, February 1933. So, Idaho Falls, uh, one of the bigger cities here in Idaho, about 60,000 people today. It was basically nothing until the late 1800s, and then the train station came through and irrigation began. And once those things began, Idaho Falls became kind of the the cultural economic center, eastern Idaho, northern Utah. So, Mr. Dreyer, uh, he's um, a young man now, he's married 19 or 20 years old, his first writing efforts with bad checks (laughs) were in uh, november of 34 he forged several checks in idaho falls and we need to talk a little bit about these bad checks Mm -hmm. one way you can have a bad check is through you writing checks on your own account where you have insufficient funds that was not mr dreyer's style instead he was a check forger now back in the day a 100 years ago. Checks did not have personal information in the top left and did not have all the bank routing and account numbers on the bottom. They simply had the name of the bank and you would fill in the normal components of the check. We have a great oral
0: history from former inmate Melvin Aldis from August 24th, 1985, about the allure of forgery.
1: Uh, we call them paper hangers, which is check writers. And they figure these things out before they ever start and they, they get their checks all made up and they'll put $500 in, in a bank and boy, they'll just go around and write about fifteen twenty thousand dollars 20000 on this $500 and put it in another bank under another name because they know they're going to get caught and they'll do this in about three banks and sure enough, they get caught. Well, they've got about 60000 put away by this time and... They do their 11 months, and they figure that's real good wages. And they'll live on that for quite a while. And then they'll turn around, and they'll start and do it all over again. So it's uh, it has its drawbacks, and it has its planning. Uh, there, like I say, there's some people in there that are really uh, geniuses. We had some. Mr. Dreyer apparently would get counter-checks. These were blank checks with no personal information or account information of any sort, and then he would write fake names on them, and for various amounts. The first time he did this was in November 1934. He pled guilty to the charges there in Idaho Falls. He was sentenced to be imprisoned here at the penitentiary from 1 to 14 years, but likely because this was a first offense, that sentence was immediately suspended, and he was paroled and here we go Uh, (laughs) he's arrested again for check forgery a few weeks later february 35 pled guilty in march of 35 he's again given a one to 14 year sentence the same as his previous suspended sentence they're to be done consecutively here so he shows up here on the grounds of the old idaho penitentiary march 31 1935 his initial intake form shows him to be six foot one, unusually tall for the time, 150 pounds, so a slender man, blue eyes, brown hair, light complexion, listed as married, and his occupation is a dairyman. Except for dairyman, it sounds like you're describing me. <laughs> well, not nearly as <laughs> handsome, of course. Oh. <laughs> a face made for radio, as they say. Yeah. So, a month later, the sheriff of Bannock County, Bannock County here uh, in Idaho is Pocatello. The sheriff contacts the warden and says, by the way, hold this fellow. We want to talk to him. Um, put a hold on him. Notify me a few days before his time is up so I can come after oh, him. And this is a pattern of holds and detainers on Mr. Dreyer exists for the next 30 years. The warden here at the penitentiary, as he routinely did for new prisoners coming in, contacts the judge and the prosecuting attorney to ask their their opinion of this fellow. uh, What's his situation? Any words of advice you might have for me as the warden here? The Prosecuting attorney Henry Martin of Bonneville County, Idaho Falls, is a uh, response to the warden's request for information about Mr. Dreyer and says, This boy has forged a number of checks he seems rather hard to do anything with. Yes. He concludes that Mr. Dryer is, quote, an habitual criminal and a menace to society. This is as a 20-year-old. Mr. Martin, the prosecuting attorney, follows up with another letter, August 35, saying he began forging checks as soon as he was paroled initially and that, quote, William Dreyer is a man who more than the minimum sentence would do some good. So the next month, September thirty-five. Mr. Dreyer requests that the Idaho governor release him from one of these two consecutive sentences. Uh, Mr. Dreyer says, <laughs> bless his heart, I have now realized my serious mistakes in my young life, and I am trying very hard to make good. There was no response to this. He made a similar request again in November, and then he got his first se- a pardon on his first sentence. So he's doing his second sentence now. April of 36, he applies to the governor for executive clemency. He says, I have employment promised, and I have my family depending upon my support. His father follows that up with a handwritten letter to the Board of Pardons on June 26 of 1936, Dad is asking for a pardon for his son. Um, I have Dad's letter here, and the handwriting is shaky. This is an elderly man who's not well. It's just a heartbreaking kind of note. In part, Dad says, His mother's health is very poor. The doctor has x-rayed her, and she must be operated on. If our boy was home, he could help me earn some money to have her taken care of. I can, I can only make enough myself for a meager existence. William was never a bad boy at heart. He's anxious to care for his family. And then Dad follows this up with a second letter a month later saying, We sure need his help at home. The family's having a hard time to make a living. And there are several jobs here that he can get. Yeah. So... On November 12, 36, William Dreyer officially applies for a pardon at the expiration of his minimum sentence. That pardon was granted January of 37, effective April first, 37. It includes the typical kind of pardon requirements, including that he report into to the sheriff of Bonneville County. The sheriff was contacted by the Idaho Secretary of State saying this fellow was going to be uh, released. Okay. The sheriff was told by the Idaho State Penitentiary, I hope you'll keep a careful check on him. The parole board was fully convinced that this prisoner should not be granted an oh. unconditional pardon. So, he's released in April thirty-seven.
0: Do you know, like, did he ever explain why he was writing these checks? Is it for his, his wife and his family
1: that's growing, or was it? It's, it's never really explained. There are increasing references as he goes along this rocky path that alcohol played a significant role in his, yeah. uh, in his mistakes. So he's released in uh, April of 37. June of 37, he's forging checks again in Bonneville County, arrested, pled guilty. He's sentenced again to the standard 1 to 14 years at the pen, comes in June of 37. At that time, his occupation is listed as a barber, and you would think a barber can make a living. Yeah, uh, he, he's listed as divorced here, and oh. we have no idea whatever happened to. Uh, Edna Harris. Mm. His Bertillian files show that he's got, and this is confusing to me, multiple small scars on his hands, arms, feet, thigh, and neck, and they're identified as cut scars. Huh. I haven't seen, I don't know if that means he was maybe injured in fights or something, because yeah. he doesn't really have that kind of history, but he has these so-called cut scars. Yeah. So the warden, for the second time, contacts the prosecuting attorney and the judge prosecuting attorney from Bonneville County, Mr. Henry Martin, says, we've had a lot of trouble with this person. He does not seem to be able to get away from his stealing habits. Now, one of the things that I kind of <laughs> like about these old documents from the 30s is the utter bluntness <laughs> with which these folks spoke. The judge, C.J. Taylor, was, was asked, what's your analysis of, of Mr. Dreyer? And the judge says he is, quote, a no-account criminal type. <laughs> So, in the, in the June 36 letter, Mr. Dreyer's father, Charles Dreyer, had said that his mother was not well, mm-hmm. she needed an operation. That was, unfortunately, prophetic. Yeah. October 37, uh, the governor gives permission for Mr. Dreyer to go back to Idaho Falls for his mother's funeral. 38 his work progress report shows that he's been working as a barber here he was judged to be a good worker he's assigned to the Eagle Island prison farm in late in 38 in february of 38 he applies for pardon yet again he says <laughs> i have been slow to realize the seriousness of writing a small check and signing someone's name other than my own now uh, the, his reference to a small gosh. check suggests that he's not really terribly self-aware of his behaviors yeah, yet. yeah, He says, but I'd like to go to barber school, and if you could release me, that's what I'll do. He's yeah. granted a conditional pardon November 38. He's out free at last, and of course— uh, Oh, my gosh. Well, we're, we're into the movie Groundhog Day at this point. <laughs> he's released November 1938. <gasps> Four weeks later, December 1938, no. he's forging checks in oh. Bonneville County. <laughs> oh, no. He pleads guilty, sentenced on September <laughs> 23rd, 38, to <sighs> three to 14 years. So the minimum now has bumped from one to three. And his first alias appears, oh. Mr. Ross Johnson.
0: Ross Johnson. Oh, William.
1: Yeah. So the <sighs> warden contacts the prosecuting attorney again. The judge again, tell me what you think. At this point... Henry Martin, who was the prosecuting attorney, is now the judge in Bonneville County. And he's unfortunately very familiar with Mr. Dreyer. Uh, So the warden says, uh, Mr. Martin, what do you think? Mr. Martin says that Mr. Dreyer's associates are, quote, mostly idlers. And that forgery seems to become a habit arising out of idleness and profligacy. He says that Mr. Dreyer is, quote, a menace to society. Now, it's funny. I think menace to society. I think Jimmy Cagney and submachine guns (laughs) and such. But no, Mr. Dreyer is at that level with nothing more than a pen. (laughs) So he comes back to the penitentiary. August 39, Mr. Dreyer is given permission to attend his father's funeral. Oh, man. 1940, largely uneventful. Mr. Dreyer is assigned to the Eagle Island State uh, Prison Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm assuming you and, and Sky have talked about that farm in the past. It's off the grounds here mm-hmm. and a uh, large agriculture operation, largely for folks who are trusted. Mm-hmm. December 9, 1940, Mr. Dreyer and a companion escape from the Eagle Island Farm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Three weeks later, He's arrested again.
0: Uh,
1: this time he's in Dillon, Montana, as the newly emerged Ross Johnson. He's writing checks in Dillon, Montana, as Ross Johnson. He pleads guilty as Ross Johnson on January 14th, 41. He's given a two-year suspended sentence. He's to report in monthly to his parole officer he did not do so. I was going to
0: say, how long? <laughs> when did that first report come in? Ever?
1: <laughs> uh, it was only at that time that the Dillon, Montana sheriff learned that Ross Johnson was indeed our friend, Mr. Dryer. <sighs> A couple of weeks later, he's arrested again. Mr. Dreyer is in Salt Lake City on charges of forgery, check forgery, and escape. <laughs> uh, he'd also, during this two-week period, written several fraudulent checks in Bingham County. Bingham County is uh, Blackfoot, Idaho, and also in Pocatello as Frank Saunders. So he comes back here to the penitentiary uh, here in Boise on February 2nd, pled guilty in April to the escape charges, sentenced for one to five additional years to be tacked on to his present sentence for forgery. As soon as he's here, uh, he becomes very popular. Dillon, Montana, Pocatello, Idaho, Idaho Falls, they all contact the warden saying, don't let him go without letting us know we we want holds on him because yeah. he's got to face forgery charges at our places. He receives a pardon for his initial forgery charge in July 41, and so now he moves to serving his time on his escape charge. And here is where we get to kind of an interesting national phenomenon that plays out here. 1942, the U.S. is in World War II deeply engaged, and success is far from certain at this point. The Allied forces are struggling badly. One of the tremendous needs is for soldiers. So many states start investigating the possibility of penitentiaries sending men to, instead of serving their sentences out, go into the armed services and and serving their country that way. Mr. Dreyer had been in the National Guard here in Idaho as a young man from 1930 to 1934. He was dishonorably discharged. His brother, his younger brother, we mentioned, is also in the Army. So, Mr. Dreyer in February 42 applies for a pardon so he might enlist in the U.S. Army. The chief parole officer of the penitentiary here, Mr. Walter Rhodes, contacts the sheriff back in Dillon, Montana, uh, who had a hold on Mr. Dryer. And the uh, parole officer here from the penitentiary says, we're figuring on getting him back into Army service. It won't be too easy for him to be reinstated, perhaps, but he has papers from his old bunch, presumably the National yeah, Guard, yeah. asking him to come back. And the, the parole officer sent similar notes to Banner County and Bingham counties. None of them objected to the plan. So this is all looking pretty good. April 42, he's pardoned on the Bonneville County forgery charges, but instead of entering the Army for reasons I couldn't figure out, he moved to Salt Lake City. Oh... So, uh, he's now in Salt Lake City. Yeah. It's April 9, 1942. Three weeks later, May 1, 1942, Mr. Dreyer is again forging checks in Bonneville County. Oh. He was rearrested. Similar charges were filed by Bannock County in May, by Bingham County in September, and again in December. He pleads guilty in December 42, sentenced to three to 14 years at the penitentiary. Wow. The warden contacts his old pen pals, the district judge Mm -hmm. and the prosecuting attorney. Judge Martin, the former prosecuting attorney, says, in terms of his associates, they're like himself, of little worth. Of little worth. <laughs> uh, the judge, but the judge goes on to say, "Bless <laughs> his heart, Mister Drawer might be able to contribute to the war effort through some sort of contractor engaged in technical <laughs> work." So they're they're looking for warm bodies to help in the war effort. Oh my god! The uh, prosecuting attorney is less optimistic. <laughs> We've tried he says this. <laughs> he's been given several chances to no avail. Wow! So, the warden is here at the Old Idaho Penn, is absolutely fixed on the idea of Mr. Dreyer serving in the war effort in some way. Mm-hmm. So February 44, the warden writes to the sheriff of Dillon, Montana, to see if his charges there were cleared as, quote, he wants to be inducted into the army. The sheriff says, well, he had a suspended sentence of two years, and, and that sentence is over. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, he's That's... violated parole, but... but we really don't care right so they sent similar letters to bingham counties and blackfoot counties here in idaho saying hey we're thinking maybe he could go in the army what do you guys think Uh, both of them said hey it sounds great uh it'd be good for him good for the country so everything's looking good but (laughs) may 44 things have changed a bit The Army has decided that they will no longer take men straight from the prison or penitentiary. Instead, such men would have to be out on parole for six months and be successful, and then the Army would take them in. So the warden, and I can't believe his single-minded dedication to this notion, contacts Dillon, Montana, and Bingham County, and Bannock County again, saying, Okay, things have changed. Uh Would you guys be okay if he goes out for six months on pardon and then goes into the Army? And Bingham County says, okay. Banna County says, no. In fact, if they repeated, repeated no twice, July of 44 and again, August 44, they say, oh. no, we want to prosecute him. Yeah. But they changed their minds by September. In 44, saying, we're going to cancel our hold. But, uh, oh, by the way, Ogden, Utah, would like to to speak to you about (laughs) Mr. Dreyer. (laughs) Oh, there we go. So, Uh, the warden writes Ogden, Utah, saying in September 44, hey, we're thinking about maybe this new thing where he gets out on pardon for six months and then goes in the army. Are you guys good with that? They say, you know, it's been so long that all the witnesses have disappeared, so we're going to withdraw our detainer. So, he's going to be released— June 6, 1945. Nice. So, Mr. Dreyer is released on parole effective June 6, 1945. Two weeks after his release from the Idaho State Penitentiary, Mr. Dreyer is arrested in Butte, Montana, on a charge of, quote, obtaining money by a false and worthless check. He's sentenced to a three-year term in the Montana State Prison, Deer Lodge, Montana. In July 45, Warden Clapp from here at the Idaho State Penitentiary contacts his counterpart there in Montana, asking for a retainer on Mr. Dreyer for his parole violation after his sentence in Montana is concluded. November 1546, Mr. Dreyer writes Warden Clapp here at the Idaho Penitentiary, asks that the Idaho retainer be released. Mr. Dreyer oh. says, I'm gonna be released in six months. I'd like to stay here in Montana. I'm gonna set up a barber shop here. Um, he says, you know, living in Montana is going to keep me away from my old farmer associates. And Mr. Dreyer also wrote something that I, just grabbed me. He says, quote, after all, a man has to get some sense sometime in his life. I figure this is the time for me.
0: How old is he now? He's like uh, in this his 40s, yeah. yeah,
1: he's born in 14. So, yeah, he's uh, 30. 32-ish. Yeah, early 30s. <laughs> oh, man. So... Mr. Dreyer has written the warden asking that the Idaho retainer be released. The warden writes back, November of uh, forty-six, saying the Idaho Board of Pardons was voted out of existence. We're not going to have a new board before July forty-seven. Thus, there's no board now to do anything about your case. Our advice to you is just to wait. Yeah. Mr. Dryer instead writes the governor asking his detainer be lifted. And by the way, maybe you could, you know, pardon me. Um, no response. <laughs> April 47, Warden Henry of the Montana State Prison writes Warden Clapp here in Idaho saying, we're going to discharge Mr. Dreyer May 14, 1947. The Idaho Director of Paroles, Mr. Fales, writes back saying, are you going to parole or pardon him? If you're going to parole him, we'll just have our parole run concurrently with yours. If you're going to pardon him, we're willing to reinstate parole for him with conditions. The Montana State Prison warden writes back, We're not going to parole or pardon him. He's just finished his time here. We're done. Um, The Idaho director of parole says, We will not give him further opportunities to make good if he fails us this time. And you can imagine the finger waggling. So the Montana State Prison warden says, By the way, Mr. Dreyer is, quote, Thoroughly aware of Idaho's parole requirements. He's released May 14, 1947. August 19, 1947, oh. Idaho State Board of Correction learns Mr. Dreyer has violated his parole, <sighs> concludes he should come back here to the Idaho State Penitentiary for parole violations. Mr. Dreyer admits in a written, notarized statement that he indeed violated his parole for, quote, failing to report and being arrested by the Police Department of Pocatello, Idaho, for passing no-good checks. Jeez. So he comes back here in August of 1947. He's first assigned to the inmate barbershop, and then apparently things go very well. He's assigned to the guard's barbershop. Bannock County contacts the warden. Hold him. We want him (laughs) when you're done with him. So... Idaho, in early forty-eight, Idaho Department of Probation and Parole contacts Pocatello to see, if you still plan to prosecute Mr. Dreyer? If so, we're going to release him to you so you can yeah. prosecute him. If you don't want to prosecute him, we're going to keep him here longer. Jeez. Pocatello says, oh, no, hold him. We are still very desirous of prosecuting the man Dreyer unless he's to be held at the penitentiary for one year or more. The police chief of Pocatello, and again, I love the blunt way in which these guys talk. Yeah. They're just so critical of Mr. Dreyer when they're telling the warden to hold him. Oh, the yeah. police chief of Pocatello, uh, Mr. Rubidou, says, before he gets out of the city of Boise, he'll place out some more checks for extra money to have a good time on. <laughs> so, March 48, Idaho State Board of Corrections announces that Mr. Dreyer is going to receive a conditional release. He's released to Pocatello with his brother Harold supposedly in charge of him. Mr. Dreyer again violates his parole conditions. He begins traveling with an ex-convict associate of his. He visits Washington State. He visits Utah. He gets back to Pocatello, where he's promptly arrested for leaving the state twice without permission of his parole officer, associating with a known convict, using alcohol to excess, public intoxication, and forgery. I was gonna say when he was traveling, was it under his own name or it, it was a, uh, a a funded expedition? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Dryer and I'm not quite sure why. Mr. Dryer admits to all the charges except for forgery. I would never forge. What? Never. <laughs> so, the Pocatello Police Chief, Mr. Rubidoux, contacts Warden Clapp and says. I know he's been at your place a while. Can you send us some samples of his handwriting so we can compare it to the checks? We're pretty sure it's him. Oh, jeez. And Warden Clapp sends him back the fingerprint card, a copy of his parole agreement. Mr. Dryer apparently is shown all this material and pleads guilty to all of the parole violation charges. The sentence is suspended. What? And Mr. Dryer is released back to his brother, Under parole with the usual conditions, uh, refrain from lawbreaking, gainful employment, pay off your bad checks. And he stayed out of (laughs) prison for the rest of his life, right? If I were writing the story, yes. (laughs) But on September... (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. In January, 49, so this would be uh, four or five months later, Uh he's found to have violated the terms of his parole. He comes back to the penitentiary to complete a sentence of three to 14 years. Did they just keep his cell how he liked it? <laughs> I, man. They turned back the covers and put a mint on the pillow. Yeah. He finishes out his sentence. He's released again in the early 1950s, 1951. At this point, Mr. Dreyer's in Idaho Falls, Idaho. March 31st, 1951, he writes a forged check in the amount of $73 at the savings center store there in Idaho Falls. In his written statement later, he says, I was drunk at the time. I cannot remember too much about writing that check. So he's arrested April 11, 51, pled guilty May 4, 51. He's in front of his old friend, Judge Henry Martin, former... So they've got like a 20-year history now. they've grown up together. (laughs) They've grown up together. Uh, He pled guilty to the charge of issuing a fictitious check. He's given a sentence now of five years at the Idaho Penitentiary on May 751. Now, the state had appointed an attorney for Mr. Dreyer, Isaac McDougal. And uh, Mr. McDougal is asked... Investigate this case and get back to us. Give us your opinion. Uh-huh. So Mr. McDougal wrote to the State Board of Corrections and says, For my investigation, it appears that his, Dryer's story of being quite drunk at the time is substantially correct. Your advice would be appreciated. <laughs> Jeez. So... Mr. McDougall also explored with Warden Clapp the possibility, perhaps, of of Mr. Dreyer serving time at the uh, the state hospital in Blackfoot Mm -hmm. for individuals with emotional and mental issues. And Mr. Clapp responds back, you can almost hear the indignation. There is nothing here in the history of Dreyer's long criminal career which would indicate that there should be any justification in committing him to state hospital south as a mentally ill person. Oh, my.
0: And you yeah. almost want to
1: add, good day, sir. Good
0: day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of that. Yeah.
1: So apparently while Mr. Dreyer was momentarily out, he went to Cache County, Utah, and wrote uh, fictitious checks there. They contact the warden October 51 saying, please hold him. We would like to prosecute him after you release him. Got to, like, glue his hands together. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give this man a pen. Oh. wow. So the warden contacts for the fifth time the prosecuting attorney and the judge to ask, what are your thoughts on Mr. Dreyer oh, no. as he's uh, back here for the fifth time? Um, the prosecuting attorney says, this man appears to be an habitual bad check writer, It would seem that detention is the only means of protecting the public. So his intake form at this time lists his job as tinsmith. He answers yes to questions about whether he consumes liquor, whether he's a smoker, whether he's a gambler. For the first time, he lists Mm. his religion as Mormon, although his marriage was in an LDS ward there in Idaho Falls. Uh, His new charts show that he's acquired several tattoos along the way, and, and some of these are just wonderful to visualize. There's a hula girl. Oh. There's a dagger. Mother and father. <laughs> and my favorite, quote, a girl in trunks. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming she has a top as well. Yeah. So, Mr. Uh. Dreyer is back here at the penitentiary, and surprisingly, um his overall... Uh, record here is pretty good, except for his escape from the prison farm. Uh He's not been in any trouble at the penitentiary. He's often listed as a good worker. He was moved from the inmate barbershop to the guard barbershop. Overall, he's done pretty well here. The chaplain here was less convinced of Mr. Dreyer's reformation. In 52, the chaplain notes, this man blames liquor for being the chief cause of his troubles. He is a doubtful subject for release." But he's got no punishment record whatsoever. March 53, his records show a completely clean, no issues whatsoever. He's been making regular payments to Cash County, Utah, for the fictitious checks he wrote to the Skag Safeway store. Mm-hmm. He paid off all of it, which was less than 100 bucks. Yeah. They released their hold on him. He's released uh, here from the penitentiary July 1053, oh. after five terms here, and, of course, the, the, the one term in Montana. Uh-huh. So... August 21, 1953, Ugh. Mr. Dreyer has not left the city limits. He and another man allegedly broke into a Boise storeroom leased by the Continental Life and Accident Company in downtown Boise. Mr. Dreyer is accused of stealing. Would you like to guess what he stole? Checks? Blank checks. <laughs> oh, my. And then God. forging and cashing them in <laughs> Weezer, Idaho. Um <laughs> There's not much really to say. He's arraigned on these charges on, in December 53. He pleads innocent. Now, there's no record of what happened after this, so he disappears from Boise. Mm-hmm. But um, by mid-1954, the next year, Mr. Dreyer shows up. He's being held at the Bannock County, Pocatello, Idaho County Jail on a new set of, quote, bad check charges. Mid-1954. 1 a.m., on Sunday morning, July 4th, Independence Day, oh, Mr. Dryer and a cellmate saw their way out of the cell block, oh, saw their gosh. way through a barred window, escaped down a rope. Wow. The accomplices recaptured three weeks later. There's no record of Mr. Dryer's capture. Wow. So he's out free and easy. Piecing it together afterwards, Mr. Dryer apparently headed east. For the Dakotas, from 1954 to 1960, he's arrested nine times in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, for repeated, (laughs) sorry, for repeated instances of check forgery, obtaining money under false pretenses and third-degree burglary. He's got a new alias now, Jack R. Morgan. So... He enters the South Dakota State Penitentiary on May 13, 1960, with an eight-year sentence. He's released on February 13, 1966. Wow. So he's now in his mid-50s. Mm-hmm. After leaving the South Dakota State Penitentiary in sixty Mr. Jarre moves to Minneapolis, Minnesota. At some point along the way, he had changed his middle name from Ferdinand to Frederick. He works in Minneapolis as a carpenter, and there is no further record of any sort of criminal activity. Wow. In fact, while he's there, he meets and marries a woman, Helen Ann Simpson, in October 68. They move to Salt Lake City. They have a son, Stanley Dreyer. Mr. Dreyer passes away in November 76 in Salt Lake City. He's buried in Taylorsville Memorial Park Cemetery. Mm-hmm. His wife passes away a few years later. She's buried after him. So the story has a happy ending. He said in an early request for parole that every man has to wise up at some point in his life. And he finally found the point at which it was appropriate for him to do that. Wow. In his 50s. In his mid fifties, yeah, 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 but he has, but he has a happy life thereafter. Yeah, Um, there's a lovely picture of him in his obituary. (gasps) He's he's grown into a distinguished-looking fellow. Uh He had lots of family and friends who came to his service. Bless his heart, he turned it it around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, some of us it takes a little extra encouragement, a little bit of uh, chisel to get through that hard <laughs> head. and
1: the, You know, uh, the main reason I wanted to look at a repeat offender is to try to understand better how this could be, because it makes no sense to any of us or anyone listening to this how you could just do the same thing and be oh, punished so Barbara. severely. And frankly, I, I didn't get terribly enlightened. The only thing I could come to was the fact that even when it's blatantly obvious to someone Mm -hmm. how bad your behavioral patterns are for your overall well-being, it is so difficult for some of these folks to change. And he is the most powerful living example of that that I've ever come across. And the other thing is that it wasn't until he changed that behavior that he was able to establish any kind of real life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had no big friends outside of prison, certainly no family. Mm -hmm. He maintained communications with his one brother, and that was about it. It wasn't until he got out and kind of stayed out of trouble that he was able to establish what we would think of as a normal and and fulfilling kind of social life.
0: Yeah, and if we reference uh, Jerry Clapp, the son of Warden Lou Clapp, who actually knew William Dreyer
1: and references him several times, so... Yeah. Could you tell us? Could you read um, us some of this for sure. us? Sure. The warden's son, Jerry, kind of grew up in prison in, yeah. in a very real way. And he he knew William Dreyer. And uh, he, he talked about him in his uh, forthcoming book a little bit. He says that William Dreyer was an institutionalized man. He always told me that he was getting out for good and never coming back. However, he always came back. Yeah. His parole would be approved. He'd be released. He'd be booked again. He just thrived, according to um, Jerry Clapp, in the structure environment of the uh, of the penitentiary and couldn't survive before just and, one uh, of many great quotes from jerry's memoir which is slated
0: to be released in the near future by hidden shelf publishing yeah. he cut jerry's <laughs> hair
1: i use the barber here you he, know he did, he, he did not only other and, inmates, in fact but... jerry went for a haircut as a teenager and he walks into the barber shop <laughs> and uh he was expecting anybody <laughs> but william dryer, right. but there's bill dryer yeah. bill it's nice to see you again i gotta have a haircut well, it's always good to see you too, Jerry. And uh, he 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 said Dreyer chuckled and draped the smock over him and started to cut his hair and told him a story about, yeah, you know, I was down in Texas and I was robbing a house and I had all the household goods in a bag and I had them in a pillowcase over my shoulder and they caught me red-handed and <laughs> I was in big trouble and they threw me in the tank. But fortunately, there was a guy there who was really drunk. And so I took his driver's license. And when they called his name the next morning, I walked out because he was still drunk. (laughs) sleeping and I got under his name and I felt kind of bad for that guy but I was out I didn't want to be in Texas (laughs) so how many more times could he have been in prison how many times did they do stuff like that like wow and, and of He's course these are only unabitual. the times they got caught right and, and w- w- maybe it's a 10 to 1 ratio of things you get away with versus the ones you get caught yeah from. Yeah. so um, but I, wow. I I actually take great solace in, in the obituary for, for Mr. Drew because there's a picture of him looking happy and distinguished and successful yeah and I think man anybody can turn it around even this guy finally turned it around yeah so there's hope for all of us wow do you know, did he have any kids or anything after? He, he did. Oh, he had a yeah. son, Stanley Dreyer. I oh. tried to run down information on him and could not find anything. Okay. But, um, yeah, he yeah. had a full family and a wow. full circle of friends at the end. Well, Jack, great work. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you for doing all of this research on William. That was, that was quite the undertaking. We focus on one person every week, you know. Yeah. Maybe a couple. But one person in this many times... Sky and I haven't really discussed, so.
1: It's it's amazing, and and it's hard for folks today perhaps to understand what a big deal bad check writing was back in the day. But without credit cards, nobody carried enough cash to pay for everything, and these poor stores kind of had to take your check, and it took days and days to clear. So it was a ripe opportunity for someone like Mr. Dreyer to um, take advantage. Right,
0: yeah, and now technology has changed, and, you know, a lot of us are safer in many other ways, but there are also, you know, criminals are out right there on the line. They figured out different ways to you're, to do the same sort of thing with our exactly modern technologies. Right. So. Clever
1: guys can find ways to get money from less clever folks. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Well, anything else you want to say or share? I, I, I don't think so. I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I know more about bad checks than I ever believed I would know in my lifetime. <laughs> That's good. Now I do too. Yeah, I didn't know anything about these counter checks. That seems like.
0: Not the smartest idea, like a very trusting idea to me.
1: Well, that's why the, the checks, I think it was in the 70s when they began to put the automated uh, routing number and stuff along yeah. the bottom is to prevent folks like Mr. Dryer. Wow.
0: Oh. All right, Jack. Thank you so much for being on this week. I appreciate it. You did such a great job. Thank you, Anthony. This was great fun. All right, let's do it again soon. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Do your own time, do your own number, and we'll see you next week enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see the mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, which we love to get, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.
1: I an invader showed me one day he told me up he worked for me in the commissary he said Mr. Ross I'll tell you how to get rich real quick I said how's that he said well go out and work for a farmer for a dollar an hour and work for eight hours and quit and hoping that he would pay you the check so he gives you a check for eight dollars okay and you get ready to cash that check all you have to do is put a knot in front of the behind the eight and put a Y on the Eight. Eighty is still eight. And You have a check for eighty dollars.
0: That's what they did.